0: Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue what we began last week. Let me make one, one note here before I get into the message um, about the members meeting next week. You know, Since Katrina, our membership process has sort of been operating on one leg in a bad training wheel. Um, so we really haven't... Um, Offered to you the opportunities we'd like to have on a more consistent basis to to be involved as a member and understand what that process is I think we've only done one members class since Katrina. And part of the reason for that was adjustments that we were needing to make in becoming a Sovereign Grace Church, that we were needing to adjust some of the documents that incorporate us and the ways in which we go about doing membership and, and how those memberships function. So that's, that has needed to be redefined since we became a part of Sovereign Grace almost two years ago. Uh, so that we've finally gotten to where we've done that. And that's what the meeting is for next week, is to finalize those documents, and that'll let us move forward with the membership process. So many of you who have been waiting to be members, thank you for your patience. Thank you for hanging in there through the process. If you're uncertain about whether you are a member, uh, you can certainly call the office this week and find that out. If you've been in the process, many of you are going to be added as members the week right after uh, this membership meeting. So you'll be added in when we sign the church covenant together and we celebrate Uh, being members together of the same church so if you're if you're in that process your process is about to come to an end here as well so thank you for hanging in there and being patient with us along the way this morning if you look in your outline everybody take out something to write with hopefully you don't come to church unprepared to write down things that god is going to say to you and you anticipate that he is going to say something to you when we gather I want to play a little word association with you for a moment. And what I'd like for you to do, you know, when you do word association, you have to write down what comes to mind first, right? So as we go through this little list of words here, I just want you to jot down something in the margins or next to these words, okay? Stubborn. Stubborn, what comes to mind. Unresponsive. Unresponsive, unmotivated, hard, lethargic, dead, difficult, Hopefully you were able to venture outside of your family members. <laughs> you know, in a real way, a lot of those words could describe a bunch of different elements that make up our everyday lives, right? That we could be, we, you, probably somewhere in there, your spouse is in there somewhere. If you're being honest, the person that you live the most with and relate the most to at some point exudes something of this list of words out of their lives, it's probably true that you've got your children on there somewhere. Family relationships are there. But, you know, if you're humble and aware of yourself, you probably put yourself on that list. Probably there are areas that you're wrestling with of sin that just, just stubborn, just doesn't want to cooperate. Your response to it is lethargic. I know to do the right thing. I just, I just don't feel like doing it. and You're having to wrestle with those issues, and you don't seem to be making any progress. You get discouraged and frustrated. And you don't have to venture into somebody else's life. Your own life does that. could be in your home you have a, a teenage son or daughter who is going through a season of being very unresponsive to you. They are, they are not relating to you. They are not opening up to you. You are pursuing, and they are not pursuing back. Uh, that could be a, a challenging situation that you're finding. These words, and some of them could describe the spiritual condition of New Orleans. Dead. Difficult to reach. Sometimes we try to reach out to people and you just can't seem to find a handle in their lives. I appreciate the, the things that Frank had shared with us this morning and some of the testimonies that we've seen from in Lakeview. That there are people that when you engage their life, they're kind of like the story of the guy on the road to Jericho we talked about last week. You know, when life puts you in a certain posture in that moment, you're much more willing for somebody to reach out and touch your life. Sometimes we're self-deceived as human beings that we think we've got it all together and we're doing fine. No, 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 I don't need any charity help from God. Can you try and reach out into that person's life with the gospel, with care, with their need to get right with God, and and they don't want to hear anything of it. But that's not always the way they are. But in New Orleans, I think you find a lot of that. You probably find... Politicians on this list, that you are dealing with issues that, that, that there's just difficulty in dealing with the politics of living in this state or living in this city. Your boss could probably be on that list as well. In areas of just being a challenge and immovable and unmotivated to do things differently around the office. Well, what do we do? When we encounter these words in everyday life, what are we doing when that happens? Well, if you're like me as a parent and you encounter unresponsiveness over a period of time, it can become very tempting just to, to figure out some way, some way that I can bring some form of pressure onto that situation. That's not completely wrong. But you know, to bring pressure onto that, to where I'm going to force some kind of change here. And if unresponsiveness and bad attitudes are there, you know, I, I will have to battle with my own issues of anger in those moments of how a, how a child is responding to me that's causing the emotions of my own anger, my own impatience to be exhibited. And you know, since I'm the dad, I can just pull rank. You know, we can can be nice and we can negotiate until we get to the point where I'm done with this and now I'm just going to come down with authority because, see, I have authority and I can force you to do things whether you like it or not. And that's not necessarily wrong, but it could be very wrong to do that. If your spouse comes to mind when these words are being brought to you, then I'm sure, and I would, I would be in this as well, we all have our own forms of external manipulation that we do to one another, right? Your spouse isn't being who you want them to be. And they're on a hot streak lately. They're quite often not being who you want them to be. And, you know, come to think of it, it's kind of the way they've always been in this area. They never seem to make any progress in this area, and, and I'm, I'm just I'm just sick of it. So in that moment... We take out tools and go to work on that person somehow. And we take out the tools of manipulation. I'm going to do something to you that's going to cause you to reassess whether you want to keep doing this to me or not. You want to keep being that way? All right. You know, no one ever sits down with a contract and says, look, can, can I just sit, sit down with you for a second? You may want to bring your attorney with you. I'd just like to talk about how I'm going to be mistreating you in the next week in order to get you to change. You want to sign here? Because I'm signing here. You know, we don't actually formalize these arrangements, but we do them to each other, don't we? And in all these moments we're trying to to bring our our ability, our pressure, something that we have control of doing into somebody else's life as a means of accomplishing something. And you you can translate this into all kinds of areas. We, We can do it in friendships, we can do it in politics. We probably respond to the To the politicians with just being disillusioned, just give up. How many of us, you know, really in our hearts, we just we have this great form of government, but you know, why even vote? I mean, look, you look at elections. People don't even show up anymore. Yeah, you live in this great free society, and you know, on the best elections, less than forty percent show up, and then half of them decide. Let's face it. You look at our country. You know, somewhere around eighteen percent of the people in this country have chosen the president when you squeeze down who could have voted, who did vote, and how many of them actually voted for a person. Why is that? Because we're just disillusioned. We've kind of given up on government. We don't think that that works anymore. Well, that's a difficult situation, like all these are. We may even say it's a dead situation. It's an unresponsive situation. It's not motivated to do things differently. It's lethargic. All these things can greet us in these categories. My question for us today. How many see prayer as the effective solution to these conditions? How many of us see prayer as the effective solution to stubbornness, to deadness, to difficulty, to lethargy? bad habits how many of us see prayer as that which would successfully change that situation well today i want us to to get a better look at prayer I particularly felt the need to do that in light of operation replant but i don't want you to categorize this message into something that's just an obscure address in your life all over our lives we are needing to see prayer in the way in which God intended us to see prayer in our involvement in the events of our lives all around us but particularly the events of the church you might remember this statement in the church covenant there is a commitment to God's economy of prayer An economy is God's way of doing things God is a way of accomplishing his will upon the earth and he has placed prayer in it and I want us to look at it carefully today here's the statement that we are being asked to be intentional about in our church covenant. I agree that God desires for His church to be a house of prayer and that the prayers of the saints play a significant role in God's will coming to pass on earth as it is in heaven. Our prayers play a significant role. Therefore, our lack of prayers also has a significant role and impact in the outcome of God's will as well. I therefore commit to make personal and corporate prayer a priority in my life and to avoid its neglect or decline. Now, one of the great things here on the eve of us two weeks from now, having a signing ceremony together, for us to analyze, and I'm having to do this personally, and this would be a great example. And some of you have asked this question, and it's a good question for you to ask. What if we sign this thing and fail at it? I don't know if I want to sign, because I don't I don't know if I can do this. Well, I'm pretty sure, and you can get in line behind me, I've failed at this one. And please realize I didn't write this thing to be kind to myself because I'm I'm on the crosshairs of this thing. I therefore commit to make personal and corporate prayer a priority in my life and to avoid its neglect or decline. And I look at where I am personally in my prayer time, and I would have to say, your prayer life has declined. I can find greater, more effective more impacting, more meaningful, more substantive seasons of prayer in my life in the past than I can find right now. More intentionality, more diligence, more discipline I can find in my life. So that would say I am in a place of decline in this area of my life. Now, does that mean I can't sign this document? No, it means I now need to respond to that. Now, if I don't care, and I'm saying, well, you know, I don't really care about that you know it is what it is and that's just the way it is well then i i'm insincere in signing a document saying that i have intentions to do, do something that i don't have any intentions to do but i'm convicted because these are values in my life these are valuable elements of who i want to be when i live my life my brief life on earth i want to live it a certain way i want it to count a certain way i want it to make a certain mark on people on the time in which I draw breath, on the intentions of my life, I want it to mean something. And these values reflect what I want it to mean. And so I know as I look at this and it reminds me, no, this is a value for you, then you need to make some adjustments that this would become not declining and not neglected in the ways in which it has grown to be. Last week we talked about being salt and light in the earth that unique thing that god has done and to make his presence known by letting our lives touch the world in a unique way and we ask the question what is a christian we studied last week that a christian is one who's following christ on a mission christ is on a mission we're following him we're on a mission i want you to turn to luke chapter 10 again with me today and i want to notice again how this chapter is inspired to be laid out by the Holy Spirit. When we began really back in chapter 9, the rumblings of this mission, the sending out of the disciples, the call to be a follower and the cost to be a follower, and then the specifics of what we're called to do. Well, into this setting of, of being on this mission, prayer gets inserted in this strategic way. And it needs to capture our attention. We're on a mission that must be begun in prayer and sustained in prayer. Critical to the mission that you and I are on as the people of God is the place that prayer has got to play in it. You can see that when you start in Luke chapter 10 and verse 2. Jesus said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few, so get off your butts and get going. I'm sorry, I didn't say that. (laughs) Therefore, pray earnestly. To the Lord of the Harvest to send out laborers into His harvest. Now, what's interesting here is if there's something to do, the first step for most of us is let's go do it, right? If you're one of those people that organizes your day and you got a checklist and you you say here you know I got stuff to do. When you got one of them long days and you got a long list ahead of you. You get up in the morning and realize, I've got I to gotta get my game face on. i got to get going. I got There's stuff to do. Well, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Stop. Pray. Oh wait, Lord, you just said the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And I'm a laborer. We need to get going here. Stop. Now, the first thing you need to do is pray. That the Lord of the harvest will raise up laborers in the field of harvest. That doesn't mean you don't go, because immediately on the heels of this statement is going. But in our going, there is an element of prayer that in our harvesting, the Lord of the harvest needs to be the one that we are keeping in focus. Pursuing, trusting, calling on. And He is going before us in all that we're called to do in being harvesters. When you follow this story and you get all the way to the end of chapter 10, chapter 11, Jesus raises this scenario The writer inspired to put this next. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you, interesting the flow of this thought here, and I'm going to analyze this dynamic next week, which of you, who has a friend, will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek. You will find, knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? And if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? You know, what's, what's interesting in this, and this is true of Jesus' life. See, it's, it's the pattern of Jesus' life in the midst of the mission, in the midst of all that He's got going on. Listen, nobody had more potential for the use of a day than Jesus did. You and I can get out of the blocks, try and touch people's lives, make a difference somewhere in a category. But this is the Son of God. He went around raising the dead. I mean, nobody could turn a day around for somebody else like this guy could. He's the Son of God. And Yet when we analyze his life and we analyze his mission, we find him often interrupting the mission and inserting prayer in it. All throughout the Gospels, you're going to find Jesus going off to be by himself. Off in a desolate place, spending all night in prayer. If you back up to Luke chapter 6, verse 12, it says, In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. Now, now you know, don't get weird on me here. This doesn't mean that the only, people, and the only prayer that really counts is a prayer that's all night long. I'm pretty sure he slept. But he did have a human body. This was, this was probably not the rule. It was the exception but, but it highlights for us, and the fact that the scriptures pointed out, highlight to us, that there are elements and realms of praying that take a certain attitude and availability on our part in order for them to become realities. He spent all night and he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. This is the Son of God with incredible insight and wisdom. And yet the night before he is to make a decision about those who have been following him, out of them, 12, are going to be set aside uniquely for the cause and purpose of God in the future. And he finds it necessary to take all night to pray and wait on God in order to make that decision. Now, what's getting accomplished here? Well, we don't really know. But we can infer from other places in Scripture, that that there was wisdom and confirmation and the setting of that decision coming into his own heart. That Jesus was becoming clearly informed by the Father, I can do nothing except that which I see the Father doing. So, So there was a need for him to glance into heaven and to see the Father's activity so that he would know who it was that he was to pick. What about their responsiveness? What about them saying yes to this call? You know, we, we realize they all, they all are quick to volunteer for this. They all said yes. There was an answer to prayer going on here when Jesus approaches these guys and says, I'm singling you out for this unique role and apostolic call in your life. And they say yes. Did that get accomplished that night in prayer, in their hearts, so that when Jesus went to them, there wasn't a blank page and a blank stare and a confusion on their, you know, I don't know about that. Um, Am I going to die if I say yes to this? There was no hesitancy on their part. Did this get accomplished that night in prayer? Well, I think it's very likely that some things were happening that are unseen that happened because of prayer that took place. This is the economy of God. God is doing things in the realms of our lives through prayer. Here's my premise that I put in your outline. Whatever God's called you to be and to do, He intended it to get prepared Empowered, envisioned, inspired, and accomplished through prayer, whatever it is that God has called you to be and to do, and please don't don't go don't go territorial on your life as though you know since I've been a little kid, i've always wanted to be a fireman, and I think the only fireman here is Shane, I 'm not sure where he is. Um, and so, you know, that's, what I, that's been my dream all my life. And so, you know, I'm living my dream. You know, the real question for every one of us here is what is God's dream for you? And God doesn't dream that everybody would become a missionary or a pastor. Okay, God dreams and plans for people to, to work in the construction industry, to work in an office, to be a mom who raises her children, to be a neighbor, to have certain hobbies. God, God plans those things for your life. Just make sure you take ownership from Him on those issues. Because the real issue of what you're, what you're called to be and to do is from God, not just what you want to be, not just what you want to do. But the reality is all throughout this room, there are, there are sons and daughters here, that God has assigned you to be a son or a daughter. And that looked a certain way at certain ages in your life. You may be grown now, and that still looks a certain way. That, That was supposed to be under the influence and the sway and the effect of prayer in your life and maybe you don't realize that maybe you're a son a daughter a teenager young person living in your home and you don't see the need to get up and rise before god or stay up one night to find out how am i supposed to be a son or a daughter for you it's just a matter of okay what can i get next from mom and dad where are the fences here? What can I, what, how can I live my life? What can I do that I can get some benefit out of this? So the call of God for your life is supposed to be prepared and inspired and envisioned and equipped and affected by prayer. If you're a husband or you're a wife or you're an employee here, Whatever it is that God's put your hands to in your life, you are needing to be affected by prayer. And the circumstances, the environment that you walk that thing out in is needing to be affected by what goes on when we pray. It's God's economy. Oh, don't just think that, well, you know, I know that to be a husband, I'm to do this, 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 and this. I'm about doing that. I'm running out and doing that every day, every day. Are you praying? It's not just about the activity. Man, I'm, I'm out there. I'm out there in Lakeview. I'm, I'm, man, I'm I've been wearing that loud, ugly shirt for months, man. I'm out there over and over again. Great, thank you. Right? That was sincere, frank standing asking. We want more people to be out there. Are you praying? Oh no, nah, I mean I'm out there pushing a more. Are you praying? See the economy of God and things that happens involves them happening through prayer, not on their own apart from prayer. You raising children, are you praying? Well, if you're raising children, you you know how much you need prayer, right? Ain't nothing messed me up more than raising kids. <laughs> I mean, I I am more aware of, you know, if I ever had a question about whether I was a sinner before, it is certain. (laughs) The more children I have, it just becomes clearer. I think that's why God's doing this. He's allowing clarity to come into my life. You don't seem to be quite convinced enough just how sinful you are. Here, have another one. (laughs) No, I do know where they come from. But God has an economy that prayer is involved in our lives, affecting us and affecting the outcome of things, affecting the course of history. This quote from John Wesley, I think, who knew something about God's activity, says, God does nothing but an answer to prayer. And you find scripture that, that is all over that. You have not, James says. Why? Because you asked not. These passages here in Luke chapter 11. Ask and seek and knock. John chapter 16, Jesus talks about the reason why you're being given the Spirit is so that you can ask. You've not asked yet, but if you ask, then the Father will give. He puts an emphasis on asking. There's an economy of God that involves prayer and asking God. Even asking God for things we know God wants to do. So that's the thing that trips us up. This is where we just don't let the Bible speak to us as the Bible. To us, if God wants to do it, and He's sovereign, and He's all-powerful, and He's loving, well, then certainly He'll do it. Why do I need to pray? Because the Bible says ask. And it says you don't have because you don't ask. Well, wait a minute. Why don't I just have because God wants to? Because that's not God's economy. Well, I thought God was sovereign. He is. But the Bible says pray. Pray. And it doesn't make it disposable. This is a great insight from Andrew Murray. The power of the church to bless rests on intercession. Now let's remember that as we're rebuilding the church in the city of New Orleans. As we're thinking about how to impact our community, as we're so reaching into Lakeview, Operation Replant, Alpha that's coming up. The power of the church to bless rests on intercession. When, due to lack of teaching or spiritual insight, we trust in our own diligence and efforts to influence the world and work more than we pray, the presence and power of God will not be seen in our work as they should be. Now, whether it is school years coming up for young people, college guys going back to school, Where do you find yourself in your diligence and efforts to influence your performance in school? See, isn't it all about your diligence and your effort? Isn't, isn't that what we've been told? It's all about your diligence, your discipline, your effort. Your job, your salesman here, you're moving up in a company. Isn't it all about your diligence and your effort? Your marriage. Isn't it about your diligence? Isn't it about your discipline? Isn't it about your attitude and your activity? Well, if it's not about that, then we should be able to find a very significant place of prayer in all of those categories, because we've realized it's not simply about that. Now listen, this isn't a one or the other message, is it? The Bible's not turning around saying, look, don't go into all the world, just pray about the world needing people to come to it. No, when Jesus says, pray for laborers, the next breath is they're on their way to be laborers. So, so there is this one and two step thing happening. We don't crush one truth in order to promote another one today. But there's a reality that whatever the realm of our life is, if we're going to have success in it, it's not simply a matter of our own diligence in that category. It is a matter of prayer and then our being prepared in our hearts. Listen, when I, when I have times in prayer, sometimes, you know, the, the Puritans use this term praying through or praying until you pray. And even praying for any length of time in your life, you know there's a difference between um, being in a location with a omnipresent God and praying. There's a difference in those two things. And the first thing to do is to just get in that location. So if that's what you've got to aim at first, just do that. Just, I'm going to sit still, I'm going to be available to God, and I'm going to pray in the best way I know how. But when you've prayed for a while, you'll realize that there's another level of prayer that you'll begin to experience. And it's what the Puritans describe of praying until you pray. And there are moments, and I I feel it in my soul. I had it last night in praying for this service. Just a moment where I go beyond, and something opens up. Like the windows of heaven open, and something in my soul opens. And I begin to feel almost the the presence and the warmth of God pushing into areas. And, And when that begins to happen, I sense my attitude changing. I begin to feel a burden for things. I, be, I begin to feel a fire in my bones. I begin to, to feel sorrow for what I'm not doing in areas of negligence. I begin to plead for mercy. I begin to feel differently about people. See, there's a place in which, you know, this track with me, because whether it's your marriage, whether it's, Dealing with a conflict, whether it's the way you go to work. If those things aren't happening in the depth of who I am, and tomorrow I get up to face my wife. I'm not the man I'm supposed to be to her. Until the Spirit of God has found its way into the depth of my soul and has informed me and has broken me and has humbled me and has has given me fresh desires in my heart. Now, I'm ready to face a day I'm a different person. And not only that, but I'm praying for my wife. And so our relationship has a different environment to it. God's at work in it now in a way that wasn't happening previous. See, these issues in our lives are not just a matter of us doing the right things. They're a matter of us praying and doing the right things. I always love this quote. You guys may recognize I've used it before from S.D. Gordon. He says, you can do more than pray after you have prayed. But you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. We think we can do more where we are through our service than prayer to give power to our service. No. With the blackest underscoring of emphasis, let it be said, no. We can do nothing of real power until we have done the prayer thing. Here is a man by my side. I can talk to him. I can bring my personality to bear upon him that I may win him. But before I can influence his will a jot for God, I must first have won the victory in the secret place. Intercession is winning the victory over the chief, and service is taking the field after the chief is driven off. I'll I'll let that quote. Would you please just make a note to meditate on that quote this week? in the realms of your life. It has obvious implications here. What Frank had mentioned earlier about Operation Replant. Uh, Without doubt, without doubt, as many of you have, through the years, gathered and we have prayed for people, we have prayed for our community, we have prayed for God to do a work, that many of those who are going to be receptive to the gospel are so because intercession has already won the victory. And now, service is just taking the field. And in their lives, there has been a diminishing of the activity of the enemy to blind them and hold them in place and to give them interest in this area and deafness to the kingdom. The the work of the Spirit and the work of prayer has opened their lives to a different place. The victory has already been won in the secret place. Listen, Alpha comes up next uh, month in September. And uh, this is a critical element of praying for people who you will be inviting. See, the victory's got to get won in the secret place. The war's got to get fought. The blood's got to be spilled on the ground. Before the moment we walk up to that person and say, Hey, would you be interested in coming to, to this program? Let me tell you a little bit about it. And then we get them there. And, and you know, we go out of our way to prepare. Table leaders to be able to engage and lead conversations, supply a level of of apologetics to the table. But but you, you do realize that unless God does a supernatural work in the heart of a person, apologetics doesn't save anyone. See, because that list of words that we had about people being stubborn and unmotivated and dead, you can, listen, you can read a medical manual to a dead person. It doesn't make them alive. You can read spiritual things to dead people. It doesn't make them alive. God has to make them alive. And the economy of God, His means of doing that is through the weaponry of prayer. So that when we take the field, when a table leader sits and that person you've been praying for and hoping that they would just show up and come and be a part of an alpha and hear something. Listen, it's not because that table leader cornered them with the best reasonings possible, and now they don't have an argument as to why they shouldn't be saved, so they're ready to be saved. Now, does that mean that table leaders shouldn't be prepared to reason with this person about the truth and the claims of Christ? You should be prepared. The Bible calls you to be prepared. But don't hop on one leg. You want power in what you share? That power has got to come through prayer. So as we pray, all these things that we do need to be under the influence of prayer so let me talk today about prayer prepares the way just look at this quickly do you remember some of you have been in the church long enough to understand kind of the mission i think the the mission that we're on this following christ in this mission gets some great quick explanation in john chapter 15 a number of years ago this these verses became very real To me, we did a number of teachings out of them in terms of who God's called us to be as a church. It's Jesus using a plant to illustrate something to us. And if you're into growing stuff, you'll follow this. He uses a vine. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. He begins to talk about how it is that he relates to this vine. And he brings us to this point that Christians... Our disciples, those who are following him are disciples. And disciples are called to bear fruit in their lives. And he introduces this fruit-bearing dynamic. And really, here's a good summary of who we are as a people of God. Verse 16 of John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, that your fruit should abide or it should remain or continue. So that whatever you ask the Father, interesting that quickly we go back to prayer here. The people of God become the mechanism and the means of prayer coming into God. So that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. That you should go and bear fruit. Now, here's the call of a disciple. Something has been placed inside of us, and we'll see in just a second. What's been placed in us is the seed of life of God himself. The word of God has come to reside in us. So if you will, there was a planting that took place. In this illustration, this vine was the planting of the Lord. God came to your life, big pile of dirt, and planted his life in you. Now, his purpose in doing that wasn't just so that I could run around with a brand new life and enjoy all the good things that have now come my way. And I'm hugged by God on a daily basis, although that's true. But in this passage, you didn't choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you that you would go and you would bear fruit. You would become a fruit bearer. Now, what's interesting in this process is the seed of God has come into our life And now it's supposed to grow and become something. And if you follow the process of a a church, of a a seed being planted, you have something goes into the ground and then this little shoot begins to emerge and something's going to grow into a plant or perhaps a tree. At some point, that thing's going to mature to a place that it actually begins to produce fruit. Out at the edges of the tree limbs begin to grow little apples or whatever that tree happens to be. And in that moment, now this this seed has done something. Because when, when this, there's a cycle here, there's a continuing dynamic here that's present. When that seed has grown into a full-blown tree that now has fruit on the end of it, what now is inside that fruit? More seeds. So at the edge of that tree, that eventually that apple's going to drop off that tree and roll a little bit. The fruit around it, the, the Elements that are around the uh, parts of the fruit outside the seed are going to decay. And eventually those seeds, and seeds are strange little things because they can live for a long time. People are discovering archaeological seeds that when they plant them, they actually will still grow. And at the end of that tree, that seed now is being planted out of that tree that once was a seed. Now it's become a tree that bears fruit and more seed is being produced. I think there's a great picture of Christianity there. Every one of us is called, if you will, to duplicate the work of God that's in us. The life of God comes to us. It begins to reside in us. It begins to change our lives. It changes our views. That should be duplicated in others. It gives us a sense of direction to live our lives. We live our lives out of the values of God. That should be duplicated in others. The truth of God being duplicated in our lives. There was one that came. The seed came. John chapter 12 talks about unless a grain of wheat, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it abides alone. But if it dies, then it bears much fruit. See, when that seed gets planted and it grows, now it produces many more. The the Christianity that's come to you at the end of your life, there should be many more who have come to Christ as a result of the one seed that was planted in your life. That's discipleship. Duplication is the very heart of discipleship. God has put a life in you that he intends to duplicate it over and over and over again, outside of your life and into the life of others. Well, what's interesting here, if you just follow my little reasoning here, fruit bearing requires healthy plants, which has a lot to do with the church and its ministries. Growing plants requires seeds being sown. If we're going to get a crop, you've got to plant something. Seeds germinating requires good soil. This is where I want us to see what prayer does. See, if in reality, you could take an apple seed and plant it in the corner of a big field. And eventually that seed turns into a tree and that tree grows and it comes to a level of maturity. It pushes its roots and its leaves and branches out and on the edges of it grows some apples. Those apples fall off and roll over here and eventually the seed comes out of that Fruit goes into the ground, and now another apple tree is going to raise up and do the same thing. And all all the edges of it, and these trees are just going to keep doing that. You come back 150 years later, and you've gone from one seed to an orchard. And this is what the gospel's done all over the world. One seed produces an orchard. Now, let me ask you this. What if we took that same one seed and planted it in a little bitty piece of ground in the edge of a parking lot? And you came back 150 years later. Would you have an orchard? No, you'd have a parking lot with a bunch of rotten fruit and seeds sitting all over the surface of it. What makes the difference? The soil makes the difference. Remember the parable of the sower? It probably should really be called the parable of the soils because it's not as much about the sower who goes out into the world to sow. We find out in that parable that the sower is Christ and the word of God is the seed and the, and the field is the world. And he goes out and he sows. And, and one falls upon ground that's alongside the path. And the seeds never, never take root. It's just worn out. It's stepped upon. It's not conducive for growth. Another falls on rocky places and doesn't produce fruit. Another falls amongst thistles and thorns. And it doesn't grow and produce fruit. One of them produces fruit. The one that fell on the good soil. See, the soil condition makes all the difference in the world for things to become fruitful. Well, the challenge for us, and this is where prayer is our only remedy, is overcoming fallow hearts. Look in Zechariah 7, verse 12 in your outline. It says, and they made their hearts like flint so that they, listen, they could not hear The law and the words which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. They could not hear. They made their hearts like flint. The heart is the place where the seed of the word of God gets planted in us. If the heart is like flint, welcome to the parking lot. There's no penetration. There's no going into the heart with the seed. Now, what's interesting in this passage is there was effective seed sowing take place? taking place. The law had been given, the words which the Lord of hosts had sent. These are God's Word that He sent through His raised up prophets. It's not as though we can sit back and say, hey, well, you know, the problem was with the way in which they were doing ministry. They weren't preaching the Word right. Or their programs weren't right. Or they needed to have this style of worship going on in their church. And that's, that's why there wasn't any fruit. No, the issue of fruitlessness was a condition of the hearts of the people had become hard and would not receive what was planted. The challenge for us in every realm of our life, the challenge is, what do we do to overcome that condition in the hearts of man? Jeremiah 4, verse 3 says, For thus says the Lord to the men of Judah and Jerusalem, Break up your fallow ground, and sow not among thorns, Hosea 10, verse 12. Sow for yourselves righteousness. Reap steadfast love. Break up your fallow ground. For it is the time to seek the Lord, that He may come and rain righteousness on you. The word there is Neir. It's the word for fallow. It's untilled ground. It indicates farming land, property owned, that lies unplowed. Used figuratively, it indicates the hardened untilled attitudes of the people of Judah and Israel that needed to be changed and refreshed. See, if we understand the role of the soil, then we understand that our mission is not just about more diligent seed sowing. You know, quite often what many churches will do, many, many, many churches will do this. They're not seeing fruitfulness. Church is not growing, people's lives are not being changed, and they draw all of their adjustment to the category of seed sowing. Let's sow seed differently. Let's, let's fire the pastor and get another one. Let's create a new program. Let's do, let's do small groups. Let's do outreach. Let's do mercy ministries. Let's do seeker-sensitive services. See, all this stuff is just, let's just change the way we throw seed on the ground. That's all we're changing here. But the problem with fruitlessness is not just a matter. Now, many churches need to realize, are we even sowing seed Is seed being given out? Is truth being preached? Is it being preached effectively? Are people's lives scattering seed all over the place? If that's not happening, you've got a problem with seed sowing. But quite often, the problem is not with seed sowing. It's with what we're sowing it into. We're sowing it into hearts that are like flint. They won't respond. They don't hear and they don't want to hear. And something needs to break in that realm if they're ever going to respond and listen to and hear and want the gospel In their lives. And that's a realm that God has to do. God has to do it. Scriptures in your outline God must touch what we cannot touch. Proverbs 21, verse 1. The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord, he turns it wherever he wishes. You might want to insert whoever was on your stubborn list there. Maybe you're not too worried about the king, but maybe you're very worried about your husband. All right, we'll put him in there. The husband's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. Your teenager's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. Your boss's heart is like channels of water in the hands of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Ezra chapter 7, verse 27 says, Blessed be the Lord, the God of our fathers, who has put such a thing as this in the king's heart. To adorn the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. This heathen king blesses the people of God abundantly. Gives them offerings and silver and gold. How did, it, how did he want to do that? Why was this guy who's not a God worshiper wanting to do that? Because God put it in his heart. Can you put anything in somebody's heart? No. Bible. I mean, the Bible makes the heart very mysterious for us. We don't even know our own hearts. Much less being able to define and understand and connect with somebody else's heart. Acts 6.14, 14. a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, boy, there is so much right there, isn't there? Paul the Apostle is sowing seeds, speaking the word, presenting the truth. Unless the Lord opens her heart, he is speaking to a parking lot. But the Lord opens her heart, and the seed of the word goes into her heart, and she is born again, as Peter says, of imperishable seed of the word of God planted into her heart. How did that happen? Well, we just saw how it happened. How does anybody have a heart that will receive the word of God? By God softening and touching their hearts matthew henry says even the hearts of men are in god's hand god can change men's minds can by a powerful insensible operation under their spirits turn them from that which they seemed most intent upon and incline them to that which they seemed most averse to (laughs) have you ever seen that happen somebody doing something that's totally out of character for them you know, how many guys have you, times have you guys told us, I can't believe so-and-so is coming out Alpha? I, I mean, you don't understand. I can't believe that. How did that happen? God mess with their hearts and put in them a desire for something that on their own they never would have had. And you and I, as, as Spurgeon talks about, we have the ability. Prayer is, is the, the, the tendon that moves the hand that moves the world. We have this ability to interact in the economy of God with the hearts of men through the vehicle of prayer. All around us are people who are needing that. Make a quick note here about the prayer force. You have a little brochure here in your outline or given to you in your bulletin today. It says, the prayer force ministry. And I won't ask you to read through that. I want you to take it home, and I do want you to read it. and do want you to consider it. Let me just give you a quick history of the prayer force. The prayer force was something that came into my heart in the early 90s when I was doing youth ministry. And we would teach and preach and wouldn't see responsiveness and saw stubbornness and unwillingness and lack of fruitfulness. Of course, my response to that initially was, preach harder and louder. And eventually the Lord showed me, you know, your your great severe calls of repentance and you're cornering people with the truth and the condition and the future of their lives. And the Lord showed me this. It's Keith, it's kind of like you throwing seed harder on cement. That's what you're doing. And it, it really made sense to me. I realized the issue wasn't the seed and throwing it harder at concrete doesn't make it get planted. The need was for the concrete to be broken up, for the hardness to be broken up. And so what we began to do was we realized that it wasn't just enough for us to have youth meetings, come together, worship, uh, have preaching take place. What needed to happen was those meetings and the hearts of all involved needed to be affected by prayer. And so we, we began this little thing called the prayer force, uh, before our Sunday uh, Sunday evening meetings with youth, we would gather for an hour before those meetings, and we would pray. If you're in the church way back then, you may remember I actually got a flight suit and came to church with a flight suit on and uh, introduced the prayer force. To everybody, you know, when you're the youth pastor, you get to do really weird, goofy, stupid things. But here's what the prayer force element. It came from the idea of what strategic role does the air force play in the armed forces? And this is the thought that generated this prayer force concept. Here's a quote from Alf Wilkinson. He says, in 1930, William Mitchell wrote, The advent of air power has put a completely new complexion on the old ways of fighting wars. We now realize that the hostile main army in the field is not the main target. Armies themselves can be disregarded by air power if a rapid strike is made against the opposing centers. So instead of concentrating air attacks on population centers or the main army... Airplanes should be used as strategic weapons to strike deep into the enemy's territory, targeting cities, military-related industries, and other vital areas. See, what, what, what Air Force planes do is they fly beyond the enemy lines where all the battle is taking place, where the fierceness of the conflicts in our lives are happening, fly in behind that and fly and identify supply lines, blow up bridges. Find find factories that build the tanks that get sent to the front line. Blow up the factories. Blow up spare parts. Cut off fuel supplies. Well, you know, when you blow all this stuff up here, eventually what happens on the front lines is they run out of tanks. And they can't drive their vehicles. And their people are beginning to starve on the front lines. And morale is beginning to fall apart. And the enemy now is weakened. And now when you send the ground forces in against these guys with force, you're fighting a different war with a different enemy whose resistance has been broken. And that really, that's what the prayer ministry of the church is intended to be. It's that thing that goes behind the enemy lines of people's lives and it blows up the work of the enemy and it blows up the resistance that's in their life and the deception and the the, the fleshly ideas and appetites that are reigning in their lives. And it brings an opportunity for the gospel now to come penetrate who they are. what I want to ask you to do, Matt, you can go ahead and come. I want to ask you to consider what we've put together here is, is just a little bit of information about how you can get involved in being a part of prayer. And there's a number of opportunities here. And really what needs to happen is there needs to be an awakening in our hearts for every one of us to feel the burden, the absolute necessity for prayer. And if you look on the back here, our prayer gatherings... There's an opportunity. We still have continued. Ever since, ever since we did that little prayer thing on Sunday afternoons, a little prayer force gathering for youth, uh, ever since that time, we have had prayer gatherings before meetings. We've gathered before. We, when we had services at 8 o'clock, there would be a group of folks that would come at 7 and would pray beforehand. Because I'm convinced, and many of us who lead are convinced, that unless the Lord by His Spirit does something in the hearts of people, even the preaching of the Word of God will be like seeds cast on concrete. And it can't penetrate our hearts. And it can't open up our lives to be impacted by God. So what needs to happen is we need to be praying. To pray for the effect of the word of God in people's lives. Pray for our softened hearts. We gather now before this service at 9 o'clock. And for almost an hour we pray together. Now, can I, can I tell you that the reason why this message is being preached is because the, the prayer force is in shambles. And the answer to that is not more diligent fighting on the front lines. You am going to send people off to war in Lakeview, if you will, in the spirit. You can cut grass and haul things and reach out to people and spend your time and walk out in the humidity and heat and sweat and care and be standing in a heart that looks like a parking lot. See, as a church, what we need is we, we need people that are going behind the enemy lines in the spirit and praying, and effectively giving opportunity for seeds to be sown. Right, guys, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make everybody uncomfortable by saying this, but I mean, it's where we are. Okay, there were about when, when prayer started this morning, there were 25 people here. Now, what that tells me is, what it tells me is what Mr. Murray, and really Andrew Murray's book is outstanding, and I'll probably get more copies we've given this out before. But he writes this. Ministry of Intercession is written after much reflection of his meetings with pastors and church members who are leading the churches and what he saw as severe problems in the realm of prayer. But it advertises for us, when, when due to lack of teaching or spiritual insight, we trust in our own diligence and efforts to influence the world and work more than we pray, the presence and power of God will not be seen in our works as they should be. Boy, how much, how much marriage counseling would change if spouses knew what it was to go behind enemy lines and pray for their spouse rather than just manipulate Rather than just say, you're going to be that way? Well, check this out. Pressure, force, maneuver, try and bring externals. Oh, listen, blow the guy's heart in pieces and watch what God does. See, the Bible encourages that. We want, we want to take action. We want to do it ourselves. See, I can come back with the comments. I can manipulate you. I can touch your life and force you. You can do that with your children as well. How about blowing to pieces of their hearts so that the parking lot goes away? And you have something soft so that when the truth is shared, whether it's in a setting like this or just they're reading the word of God themselves, that God can penetrate and plant a seed that now begins to grow and dominate their lives. And listen, if we don't do this, we will do ministry, but it will never be to the effect that it was called to be. And there's many opportunities, you know, there's probably a few folks who couldn't gather with us on a, on a saturday morning to pray um a few many just many of us just don't for whatever reasons we just don't can can you please readjust your thinking here there's an economy of god god will not circumvent his economy he does things the way he does things and we can be stubborn and we can neglect prayer and we can live in the fruit of that for the rest of our lives or we can stop and realize god people saturated with your presence, saturated with your activity, what fruit would there be going on in our lives? Well, there's an opportunity to gather and pray here on Saturday mornings. We gather out at the site on Tuesday mornings at 6.30. Uh, Not everybody can do 6.30. Not everybody can do it every week. But it's an opportunity. See, in those moments, missions are being flown into the lives of people that we don't even know them yet. And and resistance is being broken and, and they're being prepared for the gospel they're being prepared to receive truth and have their lives changed and be rescued from sin and the community in our city is what we're praying for when we gather together on that site on tuesday mornings come and be a part of that there's prayer walks that take place one of the things that the care teams do is they walk through the neighborhoods they pray they pray with people they pray for them as they walk through the neighborhoods If you've never been a part of the prayer force prayer team you can go on we've kind of updated the prayer sites you can go on the blog so a little click on it from the, the site there at, uh, at our website, or you can get on it from the address that's given there in the little outline. And you can find some helps and help, helping you pray, some encouragements for how to make good use of that. You can also submit prayer requests for other people to pray for. And you can also look and see what prayer requests are there that you can be praying for as well. See, there's many ways for us to be involved. But, but guys, listen, we are desperately needing to see something greater happen in this category. I think a lot of the things, at least I felt a lot of the messages God has given me in this season have been uh, foundational and preparatory for who we're supposed to be in the years to come. Uh, This message and this content and this prayer issue is always foundational. You just can't get far from this issue and go anywhere. And whatever it is that we're going to build, not just a physical building, but whatever we're going to be in the future, it it is hinging on the prayers of the people of God. So this is not just, and what we don't want this to be just, you know, let's just all of us show up next week for prayer. And then the week after that, we'll lose 30%. The week after that, 25% will be gone. And then then two months from now, we'll be back down down to 50. Um, No, this needs to be a lifestyle. This is the church's call. You need to have very good reasons in your life. And I can't find one for prayer to become something that's not central to everything you're about. I know none of us can come up with those reasons. Let's stand up together. I want to ask for the Holy Spirit to help us to draw our own lives into His analysis. And please see a two-sided coin here. On one side, there will probably be a sense of great conviction and neglect. On the other side, a great sense of hopefulness and anticipation. I may be realizing why it is that I'm working so hard and seeing so little fruit why I am so busy whether it's in being a father or a husband or a worker or a member of the church or in an outreach ministry or whatever why I'm working so hard sowing the truth of God into people's lives and seeing so little fruit you may realize you are surrounded by a parking lot And the only hope is not for you to throw more seed, be more diligent. The only hope you really have is for the Spirit of God to come break that parking lot up, turn the hearts all around you into something soft that can receive the Word of God. And I'm going to read this, and this stings me more than it stings anybody here. But it should sting all the leaders in this church, all the men and women of maturity in this church from an outstanding book called Revival by Brian Edwards. He says, Almost every Christian leader today laments a lack of personal prayer. I do too. But very few are determined to do anything about it. We are not sufficiently concerned to make a radical alteration in our diaries and get down to the, quote, unproductive and unnoticed battle of assaulting heaven. We, could, we would all prefer to be compared with Hezekiah rather than his father Ahaz. But it was Ahaz who shut the doors of the Lord's temple. And in our lack of prayer, we have done just that. When Hezekiah received news of a national emergency, he went straight to God. But faced with an emergency among the churches, we prefer to tackle the problem ourselves. The prayer cannot be left only to the leaders. Churches must pray also. Joel chapter 2 is a vital passage for us to come to terms with. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room in the bride chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Spare your people, O Lord. Do not make your inheritance an object of scorn, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the people, Where is their God? Here is a community of people of God called to pray for revival, and it clearly involved a radical alteration of their regular program. The first hint of revival is frequently a stirring in the life of, the pra- of prayer in the church. However, it is frequently the example of the leaders that brings about this burden for prayer in the church. Lord, as as I was with you last night. what flowed from my own heart in considering these words and truths was have mercy on me, O God. For knowing better. So Lord, standing amidst the people that you have joined together, as a church, as a body, as family, but I wave the most severe finger at myself. Lord you would know not that, not that there isn't a prayer life in my life, but simply that it's not what it should be. And Lord, would you start with me? Would you move into every mature believer and leader in this church, every one of the pastors, every covenant group leader? God, would you give us a heart that says, oh God, have mercy on me, for I know better. I know the lives of the people you've placed around me more dependent upon the move of Your Spirit in prayer than they are upon my words or activities. And while I don't want to neglect preaching the Word or living diligently toward my family or serving others, God, if You don't join me in that in a supernatural way, I will have wasted the years of my life. have wasted my years of pastoring this church. I will have wasted my years of being married to my wife. I will have wasted the years of raising my children. Lord, whatever it is in the program of our lives, that has to change. Oh God, inform our hearts that we would be willing to change whatever so that you might join with us in this mission. Spirit of God, you have called us. You have given us access to you that we would ask, and we would ask, and continue to ask. Lord, inform our hearts. Make us to be a church. God, I pray from this moment on, from this day on. Lord, make us to be a church who know what it is to find ourselves before your throne, humbled, appealing, full of faith, knowing. God, more important for us to touch anybody is for You to touch their hearts before we try to touch them. God, I pray that You bear much fruit in our midst. Let it be found in, in our jobs that we poured the oil of prayer upon our work activities, Lord. Let it be found in our homes as we relate to one another as husbands and wives and as raising children, as children relating to parents. Lord, let it be found in outreach as we extend ourselves into the community. And Lord, we touch somebody's life when we introduce ourselves only to discover You've gone before us. Their hearts are open. They're receptive to Your truth and Your Word. God, in all these realms, teach us the place of prayer and the great cause of God. Let us never find ourselves drifting into a place of neglect or decline. Let us repent with a repentance, O God, that never needs to be repented of again. God of grace, motivate our hearts. It's a simple chorus to sing. It goes like this. Unite our hearts Renew our minds Take us to a place of simple dependence. Unite our hearts, renew our minds, renew our minds, take us to place, take us to a place of simple dependence. Oh God, we wait. heart. God, we wait for you, God. We hope, you. God. stumbling block to prayer is learning about prayer. Reading about prayer. Reading scriptures about prayer. Doing anything but praying. (laughs) So what I want us to do in closing is I want each of you to go back to your list of stubborn, unmotivated, dead, difficult. I want you to call to mind Whatever it is that sticks out the best on that list for you right now. I want you to stop and ponder for a moment how you've been praying for that. Now, listen, complaining in the presence of God is not the same as prayer. Complaining to others is not necessarily anything close to prayer. But what I want you to do right now is in your own heart, I want you to, I want you to pray about that. I want you to set it before God as though it's a parking lot. And I want you to ask for His influence to break the ground up of that, that it might become fruitful soil, good soil. So can you do that for me just for a moment? Consider that area. And in your own heart, begin to ask the Lord. Take the initial step here. Something that should turn into prayer. Tonight, and tomorrow, and in the next week. Would you summon and call our hearts to pray for these things that occupy concerns and weight and challenge and difficulty in our hearts. God, to not see those things as impenetrable, but God, to see them as opportunities that you are awaiting for us to call upon supernatural activity in those realms, to change them for your glory. And Lord, prepare us this week as we pray. Or those issues prepare us a week from now to hear about how it is that you call us to continue in prayer for those things. So, Lord, hopefully a week from now we have begun to taste what it is to pray for something and then to face the need of keeping on praying for it. But, God, would you make us to be a people who never again, never again will we be complaining and intimidated about life? God, make us to be a people with jackhammers in our hands. Make us to be a people who know that whatever comes and confronts our lives, we have a power in the Spirit that can break up the most hardened of hearts. God, give us a good, thorough understanding and teaching of how it is that we break up fallow ground and prepare for the planting of the Lord that you might in us bear much fruit we might so prove to be your disciples. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys this week.